and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here hear news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I'm your host, Fred. That great theme music is by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. And today we are continuing our celebration of Norman Corwin, the poet laureate of radio who just turned 100 years of age a few weeks back. We featured several of his classic radio plays this month. Um, We hold these truths and the undecided molecule. So now we're going to skip ahead about 50 years towards some of his more recent work. Uh, This one you're about to hear was originally aired on NPR from a series called More by Corwin um, around the year 2000, at least is when this uh, CD was released. Uh, This is called The Curse of 589, a comedy that stars, and I kid you not, William Shatner, uh, doing one of his more interesting roles as of late. Uh, He plays a physicist who comes across a real state-of-the-art and in-your-face, in-the-flesh fairy. Um, This fairy, who, yes, has a magic wand and the whole lot, forces him to confront a number of views about the universe energy in his own emotional state uh you know the sort of the classic science versus magic and it is ridiculously funny and told with that sort of wit and optimism and curiosity that is um the character of norman corbin so uh runs a little over an hour so we'll get right into it enjoy the curse of 589 look uh, you don't have to believe what you're about to hear that's up to you the only thing we can tell you is that dr theodore bigelow is an eminent scientist winner of the Galaxy Award for the Stromalization of Energy, and that on a rainy night recently he was drawn into an adventure unlike anything you ever heard of. Today, thanks to funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, we are able to present before a live audience at the Museum of Television and Radio in Beverly Hills the full story, starring William Shatner, Samantha Egar, and Carl Reiner in The Curse of 589. Written and directed by myself, Norman Corwin. Hello? Benny? Yeah, it's been busy. Friends have been calling and dropping in all evening to congratulate me on the ward. No, you didn't waken me. As a matter of fact, I'm in the kitchen making myself a snack before hitting the sack. Thanks, Ben. Thanks a lot. Coming from you, it means a great deal to me. You know that, right? Well, see you at the lab when you get back from your trip. Take care. Dr. T. Emerson Bigelow, otherwise known as Ted Bigelow. Yeah. Winner of the Nobel Award for the Strombolization of Energy. Uh, not Nobel, uh, Galaxy Award. It doesn't matter. Scientific Award. What are you doing at this back door? There was no answer at the front. May I come in out of the rain? Excuse me. Um, isn't it pretty late and wet to come here just to congratulate me? Congratulate you? I came to tell you what a horror you are and to wish you bad cess. Who are you? Who am I? That was the question. Oh, well, uh, credentials. Here's me card. Ferry number 589. That's me. (laughs) North American Division of the Leprechaun International. This is a damn late hour for a prank. This is no prank. I'm here to place a curse upon all science. Look, I'm afraid you've mistaken me for a crack party somewhere down the block. 
Now, if you'll excuse me... I uh... certainly will not. And while you're recovering from your misapprehension, the least you might do is invite me to stay until the rain lets up. It may not let up for days. At the same time, you might offer me something to eat on a basis of common hospitality. Uh, 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 do you mind staying away from my refrigerator? Well, well, a tray of wilted vegetables. How long has this been here? Just just put that back, if you please. Take it away. You have some nerve to come barging into my... This bread is mouldy. Do you realize you're trespassing and that I could call the police? Have you any canned goods? No, and what's more, I have no intention of taking inventory. Why do you dissemble? I know you have cans. I can smell them. Chicken noodle and mulligatawny. I'll have you know a fairy's sense of smell can penetrate up to an eighth of an inch of tin. That's some talent. Let's see what's in this cabinet. Just as I thought, chicken noodle. Here, will you open this? Like a gentleman. If you were a lady, you wouldn't be... I am not a lady. I'm a fairy, which seems hard for you to get through your head. Madam, let's get something straight. I'd be glad to take you to a blue plate special down the street, but this If that is... motorized can opener's working, will you do the honors? Oh, very well, but only because you do look a little hungry. Well, that I am. I could do with a steak. Level with me. Who put you up to this? Kindly pour the contents of the can into the pot. See, I don't mind a little crude aggression in its place. Now, but... now, add a can of water. Yes. You're lucky I was born with a sense of chivalry. I'd never strike a woman, but this is the closest I've come to kicking one out. I'm not interested in your memoirs. Stir it. Can't you think of anything less feeble in the corny style of the novelty shop than handing out a card describing yourself as a fairy? Watch what you do and your cough will be in the soup. Here's your pot and there's your stove. I don't need a stove. Stand back. What are you going to do, heat it with your briefcase? No, but with something I have tucked away in it. What do you hope to do with that chopstick? Never you mind. What do you hope to do by waving it? I hereby pronounce this soup ready to serve. It's boiling. How the blazes did you do that? No, don't, don't reach. It's not polite to grab. Please don't hover over me while I'm eating. Do you have any rolls? What is this thing? Wand, we call it. Very interesting. Let me see it. I should say not. You didn't have to slap my hand. A scientist may not touch any part of a fairy's equipment. You got a battery in there. You don't believe I'm a fairy, do you? Well, I never put much stock in fairies. Where'd you get that thing? Wouldn't you like to know? May I just feel the weight no. of it? No. Could you tell me if it uses ultra-high frequency? I warn you against abusing me with technical terms. It's quite light, if you must know, and its energy is inexhaustible, unlike me own. I'll say this much for you. You're original. I'm beginning to like your line. What college are you working your way through? Sir? Mab, would you like to do something sensible? My name is not Mab, not even Miss Mab. I'm called Fairy 589. Relax, relax. Now, do you, do you want to make some money? Hmm? What did you say? Money, dinero, moolah. Nothing shady now. Not shady. Scientific. Scientific, I should have known. Please refrain from knocking over your chair. We loathe science. It's displaced thousands of us. 
put us on the dole, destroyed our morale. You are monsters. Oh, why, when I think of what you've done to us. Like what? Well, take one little thing, just one. We used to make sounds come from afar over hill and dale and out of the cowslip's bell and across seas and mountains. And then some Italian garage mechanic named Macaroni had to invent the wireless with its singing commercials. Yes, go on. We used to radiate magical flickerings and all kinds of tweedy halos, all wonderfully unstable, so that the eye of man was confounded by them, couldn't tell whether an image was deceiving him or not. And now, it's all day class A, thanks to TV. Don't stop there. Well, take me on, dear mother. Her proudest accomplishment was an enchanted carpet, a superb thing made out of raw materials from Persia. Now Iran. Yes, and it was soft and downy and smelled like pomegranate blossoms. Oh, it was lovely, quite lovely. Flew at a cruising speed of 40 miles an hour, which at that time was considered astonishingly fast. And then some inventors, countrymen of yours, I believe, made the aeroplane. I say, you scientists, a swine. You poke your snouts into everything that's lovely. You study it so you can make it artificially. Even the pearls that are cast before you. <laughs> Where did you pick up all this moonshine? Dr Bigelow, would you, as a form of penance for your part in science, make a contribution to the fund for indigent leprechauns? No. Well then, since I've delivered me curse, which is what I came for, I must be going. That is not altogether bad news. Oh! Heavens, is that clock right? 3.10am. Is it really? And, sir, in view of the lateness of the hour and the unpleasantness of the weather, I think it would be advisable for me to spend the night here. Well, now, I'm not so sure about that. Do you have a guest room? No. Well, then, whatever you do have will be fine. I take it the bedroom is down this hall. Hey, just a second. Hold on. Even Cinderella went home at midnight. Slippers and a robe will be appreciated, and no other attention. Your aggressiveness is exceeded only by your repartee. Oh, I hate coarse flattery. Here are robe and slippers, both much too large for you. Thank you. And since you won't let go of that chopstick, do you mind my sitting on the edge of the bed with you to have a close look at it? I can't stop you from sitting, but keep your distance from me corpus. You know, seen in a certain light... You're not exactly unattractive. I think I know the light you mean, and I warn you, not only to keep your distance, but increase it. <laughs> In other words, get off me bed. Your bed? Must I inflict the power of this wand on you? Now, Matt, as your host, I simply want to point out some of the features of this room, like, for example, the electric blanket. If you should get cold during the night, why are you pointing that at me? You asked for it. I pronounce you should have a Charlie horse. <laughs> you little fake. <laughs> Troy, getting up. Oh, put that silly thing down. Go ahead, Troy. Oh. Getting up. Very well. I oh! <laughs> all right, all right. Call it off. Call it off. I'll hold me fire so long as you mind your manners. That's a weapon. That's what it is. You're dangerous. Not when treated respectfully. You may now retire in good order. Well, more than ever, I'm interested in that. I warn you, scientist, me vexation threshold is very low. Very well. 
I'll not cross your little threshold. Anything else you want besides my bed? Yes, sleep and privacy. Well, then, good night. Oh, one thing more. I think you should know that fairies are magically protected against sleepwalkers. Are sleepwalkers protected against fairies? Irrelevant. In any case, good night to you. Good night. Wait a minute. <laughs> are you seriously proposing to put on my slippers? You'll get lost in them. I'll fix that. Stand back while I flourish me wand. I pronounce these slippers size three. My God, they shrank. How did you... Let me have that wand. Good night, Dr. Bigelow. No, hey, ju just a minute. How does that thing work? Let me see it, will you? Are you looking for chronic neuroarthritis? No, no. <laughs> but I am looking for something else. And you may be able to help me find it with that divining rod of yours. Thank you, but no thanks. We've been fighting scientists for centuries, and we don't intend to stop now. We hate science. Well, maybe if you stopped hating it and made friends with it, you could regain some of your old power, and you wouldn't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. Make friends with it? Impossible. How? By exchanging information. Well, what good will it do us? Well, if it's done you harm, as you claim, maybe it could also be made to do you good. Exchanging information, eh? Are there scientific ways of predicting the outcome of a hand of poker? Certainly. By deductive analysis. Ah. Well, I'll, I'll see if exchange is covered in the code. What code? F-E-P-C. The Fairy Employment Practices Code. <laughs> I've got the manual right here in my briefcase. Well, good. Then look it up. OK, now, now let's... Don't crowd me. I can leave without your help. Here we are. Information, exchange of, strictly forbidden. That settles it. I never thought fairies would be so stodgy. Rules are rules. Well, can't you get around them? I have many times. Then why don't you now? Here's all you have to do. Let me search for the source of power in your stick. How very curious. As a scientist, I should think you'd be more interested in our code, in the, in the origin of our species than in our one? As a scientist, I'm not interested in kooks or how they came to kookhood. <laughs> but I am concerned with physical phenomena. What's a kook? Well, let's say a nonconformist. Oh, that I'm proud to be. I once read Thoreau. You read Henry Thoreau? Well, with difficulty, of course. Well, good for you. Now, if you'll just let me test your instrument in a laboratory... Can't be done. Is there anything in the code book about it? It doesn't matter if there is or isn't. Well, is there? Let me look it up. Give that back to me. I'll look it up. You'll be my guest. Oh, you already am. Here it is. Wand. Care of. Renewal of. Use of. Wrist motions in manipulation of... Nothing about searching for the source of power. No. Well, there you are. What would you do if you found the source of power of? Control it in such a way as to benefit both humanity and, um, fairies. Hmm. Amplify that. Well, you see, there's need for new types of energy. Oh, people have too much energy as it is. They attack each other to get rid of it. No, 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 no. I mean power, new kinds of it. We're going to run out of gas and oil and coal someday. Even uranium, eventually. Oh, good. It can't happen too soon to suit me. Well, if you sneer at all forms of energy, what about your wand? 
Don't you consider that constructive and useful? Maybe its principle could be applied to all kinds of peaceful uses of energy. Objects the size of a fountain pen under easy control without having to build bulky, dangerous reactors. Don't you see, Mab, this gizmo of yours may hold the key, the secret to a cosmic force. So it's a secret you're after. Yes. And if you find the secret, would you use it just to make money out of it? Well, certainly not. Well, at least I'm glad to see you're not venal and grasping. That, I believe I can say I'm not. Good. Now, what is there in it for me? Well, what would you like? I'm going to be very straight about this. Me losses of poker have been ugly at late. With all this magic at your disposal, can't you control a simple deck of cards? Oh, listen to him. Can't you get it through your head that numbers are mathematical and cards are numbered? When I play cards, I do so at my own risk. Now, as I was saying, I should like something fairly substantial by way of emolument. Well, if it's not too big, maybe I could underwrite a little advance. In scientific terms, what would you define as a little advance? Ooh, say, uh, $500? $750. I can try. Cash, of course. Oh, naturally. Now, here's my plan. I have a little private laboratory in a cottage up at Pinecrest. Where's that? Near Lake Osawata Passamaquiddicom. The Welsh made me sick with their long names. You'd never catch the Irish doing that. When we name a place, it's short and snappy. Cork, Shannon, Dublin, Air. The name happens to be Indian. Well, that doesn't excuse it. When do you want to start at your laboratory? Yesterday. I take it that means soon. Yes. Now, if you'll just let me borrow oh, the wand. Oh, no, no. I never let it out of my sight. I have to accompany the wand. Well, all right, but I warn you it's very rustic up there. I come from a rustic race. Leprechauns are woodsy. What do you aim to do in your laboratory? Identify the source of energy. If I discover that, then I can move up the heavy artillery. I'll take it to Operation Galaxy, which is a big hush-hush government project, and there I can test it for capacity and versatility and applicability and so on. By the way, did I tell you I find your nose attractive? That's nice. I rather like your eyes, too. And I like yours. We'll leave in the morning, okay? It's about three hours by car. It's a deal. Moonlight on pine woods makes such a pretty combination. I thought you were going to oil that grandfather's clock of yours. It struck twice, and it's 10 p.m. Who did you say your grandfather was? Charlie Bullover. Well, he wouldn't like the way you neglect his clock. Are you going to work at that bench all night? We've been here two weeks now, and all you do is twiddle with hardware, make sparks, write down things, scratch your head. Stupid clock! Oh, my, that is such a very lovely moon up there. My mother once taught me a song about the moon. Slowly, silently, now the moon 
walks the night in her silver shoon. Whoever wrote that must have meant sheen, not shoon. You don't walk in sheen, do you? Maybe he meant shoes. But shoes don't rhyme with moon. So I suppose he had to say shoon, which is cheating, of course. And what else could he do? Listen. Slowly, silently, now the moose walks the night in her silver shoes. Oh, I mean, that's terrible. You're lucky to have a cottage up here in the woods. It's so tranquil, one can almost hear the pulsation of the stars. In fact, I can sometimes hear the pulsation of your heart clear across the room. It's a nice sound. It was on a night like this that my mother met my father. He was an inspector of nectar bottling. See how the stars glow. What are stars made of, Dr. Bigelow? Gas. That's a vulgar answer, if you don't mind me saying so. A typical scientific answer. As though the holy stars in heaven are made up of that smelly stuff you cook eggs with. <laughs> As though the great dipper up there has anything in common with what a human has on his stomach when he gets indigestion. <gasps> really now, the arrogance of science. All kinds of stuffy equations. And no room for the lovely dark superstitions and the beautiful ignorances that make magic such a joy to perform. Science is nosy and prying, and I'm proud of me fairy forefathers for having long ago ruled it out of bounds. Believe me, if it weren't for your idealism, you could never get me to spend ten seconds in this wicked room. What accounts for your rampant silence? Mab, I think I've got the answer. This wand is catalytically suffused with gravitrons. You don't say. And it shoots off fast astromatic fermions. The spontaneous interaction of a five-stranded nuclear toad chain. Proof of the quantum genesis hypothesis. Lovely. You seem very happy about your I am, by God, I am. Well, happiness seems to go with your posture, which I consider one of your best features. Mab, you're not listening. I'm ready. I mean, we're ready. You've got to come with me to Operation Galaxy so I can convince General Duffus. Well, why must I go with you? Because you won't let this wand out of your sight. Without it, I have nothing to go on. Well, I, I, I don't know as I can do it under the FEPC. Look it up. Well, some things I don't have to look up such as the provisions of the code I consider worth violating. There is in me a touch of scofflaw, you know, a streak of civil disobedience. Me and Thoreau. Does that mean you will come? Don't rush me. I'm considering. On the one hand, I'd be helping a scientist, which would give aid and comfort to them and theirs. On the other hand, I'd be helping myself, which would give aid and comfort to me and mine. But as me and mine are more important than him and his and need more help, it's obvious that an even exchange would benefit us most. Yes, I might as well come.
Here we are. Look, Matt, here's the way we handle it. I'll go in and prepare the ground. You wait here in the hall until I come out and fetch you. Good, I loathe preliminaries. And also there's the matter of security until you're clear. Spare me all this exposition. Just go in, see the general, get down to business, then come out and get me. I'll make it as fast as I can. Get to the point, Ted. So far you've been explaining to me that you're going to explain something to me. Suppose you begin. Well, I... First, I want to settle a few things. Would it be possible for me to make use of certain equipment? Like what? Like uh, the hepatogrid with the capacitance of two billion efterads. A dual-dial discriminator and the MRI trigotron. Well, possibly. And also the clavitroid inhibitor. The self-correcting converter and the momentum-defining thermodicalutron. What do you want all that for? Every bit of that stuff is busy. I know, but you must realize I'm onto possibly the greatest thing that has happened to science in a thousand years. What are you saying? Just that. Benny, we've known each other a long time, right? Right. right we shared confidences and always trusted each other with personal and professional intelligence. A routine, classified, and top secret. And you know me for a man who's never gone off on a wild tangent. Roger. I want you to believe me now. Well, shoot, man. Let me have it. Okay. All right. Okay, Benny. All right. All right. Okay. Here it is. I have access to a revolutionary device that sublimates energy into the most subtle and variegated forms conceivable. It's no bigger than a baton, light as meringue, non-metallic, has no discrete source of power, may well be inexhaustible. You have developed a thing like that? I didn't say that. I just happened to stumble across it. It was brought to me by its owner. Who's that? Don't ask me to answer. I don't understand you. Here you are reminding me of how many confidences we shared and how trustworthy... It's just that it would get awfully complicated. You see, she insists on being present when her device is tested. She? Yes. A physicist? No. A layman, so to speak. A laywoman? Mm, not that either. Don't tell me it's Shirley MacLaine channeling with Madame Curie. <laughs> it's nobody you've ever heard of, and she wants nothing to do with scientists. Well, but Ted... This doesn't make any sense. If this mystery woman invented anything like you've described, she must be a scientist. Don't ask questions, Benny. Just authorize my use of the equipment at hours when it's not booked. In the first place, you know it's forbidden for any outsider to come in. Secondly, if we did let her in, we'd have to know everything about her. In the third place, if you're hoping for me to turn over the resources of Operation Galaxy, you owe it to me to spell out what the hell you're asking me to believe is the mystery of the age. It is. My George, it is. Will you cut the act and tell me what it is? Benny. Oh, Benny. When I describe the nature of this device, when I did, you half rose out of your chair. And when I tell you about this woman, you're going to rise all the way. With that much notice, I'll manage to keep seated. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Listen, Benny. There are such things as fairies. I know, damn it. There's a problem in all government agencies from time to time. And since Clinton... No, 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 ban, 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 ban. <laughs> Leprechaun-type fairies, creatures. This woman's a fairy, a she-fairy. You said you'd keep your seat. And she carries a wand. Why are you getting up? The wand, in fact, is exactly what I'm talking about. Don't keep backing away from me! I'm, I'm tired of sitting. React as much as you like, but there's no getting around the palpable, tangible, empirically sound, categorically demonstrable performance of the device. Well, Before my very eyes, not once but several times, I saw this thing transmit energy under extraordinary conditions of control. You won't believe what it can do. 
It boils soup instantly, and no scorching percolates coffee. Changes the size of shoes to predetermined dimensions. It even induces spasms in members of the body and then relieves them all in the flick of a wrist. Uh, I, I don't quite get the picture of the shoes. <laughs> Neither do I, but there was an instantaneous shrinkage, yet the shoes were on her feet at the time and she seemed not affected. The wand was held no closer than this and was directed at a pair of bedroom slippers, my own. I see. Uh, did you uh, examine this, uh, this wand? No, she wouldn't let me at first, but then... But you didn't happen to bring this device with you by any chance. She doesn't let it out of her sight. Oh, too bad. Oh, I'm not surprised by your doubts, Benny, but what I've come across is an occluded front between fantasy and reality, where, as in the weather, when a warm front and a cold front impinge on each other, something happens, precipitation. Only this... Precipitation is beyond anything in our ken. In a sense, it's a link between two worlds. The hyphen between cyclotron and leprechaun. The hyphen? Yes, yes. Such is the phenomenon of this wand and the fairy attached to it. However, I don't ask or expect you to take my word. The proof is in the pudding, and the pudding happens to be outside in the hall. You mean the lady is here with you? Yes, yes, and she has the instrument. Come outside with me and meet her. Huh, by all means. You'll find her inclined to be blunt, but she's reasonable once she gets to know you. You say she's right outside? Yes, and if she throws you any fast ones, better let me handle it. Well, where's your fairy? I left her here. Of course you did. <laughs> Damn it to hell, she promised she wouldn't leave. Does your... Uh, Fairy, by any chance, have the power of invisibility? Don't be ridiculous. I tell you she was here a minute ago. Well, let's wait. I'm sure she'll be right back. I tell you, I left her right here. Now you gotta believe me, Benny! Uh, tell you what, why don't you look for her while I take, a, I take care of a little business in my office? Uh, bring her in when she returns. Fairy? Mab? Where are you? Hello, Mab! 589! Come back here! Come in, whoever you are. Uh, Dr. Bigelow? Who the hell are you? We're from security. How'd you get in my house? The door was unlocked. What do you want? We understand you're... You haven't been feeling very well. I'm fine. Uh, wouldn't you like to come in for a little checkup? At government expense. A little rest, maybe, in, a, in nice surroundings. Oh, no, I'm fine where I am, thank you. Be much easier, doctor, if you just let us take you to see your friend, General Doofus. I'll not come voluntarily. You'll have to carry me out of here sitting in my chair. Okay, sir, if that's the way you want it. All right, men, get both arms of the chair and I'll lift up from the bottom. Well, at last, why should it take so long to reach my lawyer on the phone? Well, I pressed one, and then I pressed two. And then I pressed the star key, and then three, then the pound key, and then waited 10 minutes for you to come on. I'm calling from the Iron Gate Sanitarium. That's where 
I'm being held here under great secrecy. Why? Because the Pentagon and Operation Galaxy don't want it to get out that their top scientist heading up the biggest project in space exploration has gone off his rocker. I've been here a week, and this is the first they've let me call out. No, it's, it's, it's a kind of isolation. I see only medics and shrinks. No visitors except men in white who buzz my door every 15 minutes to bring me this pill and that capsule and meals that my pet pig would turn up her nose at. Well, you better get over here. There's the damn buzzer again. I'll hang up. Make it soon. Come in. Come in, come in. You, how did you get in here? Paved me way with me wand. Gave him a shot of it all the way up and down the line. I've come to say goodbye to you. Why did you run out on me when we went to see Duffus? You didn't tell me about the high tension lines around there. I got so dizzy I had to flee. How did you make out with the general? Well, he thinks I'm completely mad. So does everybody else. Excuse me while I peel this chiclet. Do you approve of fairies chewing gum? I couldn't be more neutral. Care for one. You don't take my troubles very seriously, do you? Dr. Bigelow, you ask me to take your troubles seriously, but I have troubles enough of my own, thank you, and I prefer to lavish my seriousness on them. Are you going to invite me to sit down? Well, by all means, pull up a stool. I'm afraid I can't stay long. That's all right. How are things going? Oh, beautifully, as you can see. I'm being examined by psychiatrists. I wouldn't sit still for an analyst if I were you. What do you know about such things? Most every mortal we deal with winds up on a couch. But buck up, things are worse. Take me, for example, the mess I'm in. Oh, you're lost at poker. Worse. It's an offence for a fairy to occupy the premises of a scientist. And I was seen by a sponge head of a leprechaun spy entering and leaving your laboratory. So I got a summons. I was tried in the leprechaun circuit court and disciplined. That's all. And you're here under the terms of your punishment? No, not at all. But I may be laying by me wand indefinitely. One can get tired of carrying it up one's sleeve. It itches when not used enough, and it's protons champ at the bit. I learned that from you about the protons, I mean. I learned some things from you, too. Why are you here? Because I'm... Well, I'm... I'm interested in you, so to speak, and I'd like to help you. I don't relish the idea of you being kept indeterminately in a booby preserve. Mab, there will be some difficulty explaining to my colleagues why the winner of the Galaxy Award has neglected space research and missile development to investigate the wand of a fairy. I can't explain to them that fairies are fickle and that I can't rely on my sole fairy contact always being around. I can't explain that because they never let me get that far! But I'd try to persuade mountains of granite about you if only you didn't abandon me at strategic moments. You're being very hard on me. In short, you're wonderful but untrustworthy and, well, you're the very essence and distillation of mischief. Once before, in a moment of pique, I wanted to throw you out, but right now, coolly, with no sense of recrimination, in fact, with the friendliest esteem and envy of your powers, I ask you to go and... Let me be. Just, just, let me be, dear man. You're not yourself, Dr. Bigelow. I beg you to ask for a boon. You have it coming to you. No, thank you. Goodbye, ma'am. Please, please, ask for something. Don't you understand? The most you can do for me is to stay away. Please, don't say that. Ask the boon of being released. 
but being judged entirely compassmentous in the eyes of your cockeyed society. Do as I say. Go away, Mab. Well, then I've come here in vain. Well, you were good to come. You, you're really enchanting in a kind of perverse way, which just happens to be bad medicine for me. But thanks just the same. You're most welcome. Good boy, then. Uh, just as a point of idle curiosity, where do you go from here? To expire. To what? Expire as an act of purification in release of the mundane. Well, ask a silly question. Get a silly answer. Oh, Dr. Bigelow, you mentioned the Colonel Dufus, I believe it was, an idea you had concerning an occluded front between reality and fantasy. Would you care to elaborate on that? Uh, 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 not particularly. Why? I don't think you'd understand it. Why don't you think so? Because nobody else seems to. Why do you suppose that is? Well, because it's beyond their capacity to assimilate. Why is that? Dr. Groskopf, does your technique consist only of the adverb why? Why do you ask? Because it's getting to be a bore. My, my purpose is to help you. Why do you feel hostile? I, I'm not hostile in the slightest. And since I'm not hostile, there can be no hostility for me to mask. Hence, no need to be polite. Why do you say no hostility to mask? You said that, didn't you? Yes, yes, that's what I said. Why? Why what? Why what? Why did you say that? Why did I say why what? Or why did I ask why did you ask, you ask me why? Let us begin again. Perhaps you'd explain to me about this uh, fairy you met, uh, whose one I understand you're investigating. Let's not beat about the bush. You're using this approach to find whether I can distinguish between what you conveniently call the real and the unreal. You're convinced that I'm suffering from cathexis, an enchantment developing into obsession. Why do you think I'm convinced of that? Oh, Dr. Groskopf, are you at all times certain where the ponderable leaves off and the imponderable begins, where today's fancy and tomorrow's fact overlap? Perhaps you can teach me. I would like to share in your involvement. Well, now you're trying participation therapy, but it'll never work. Why not? Because... You have an inflexible code, and you are not aware of meanings outside of it. What do you mean by meanings outside of it? I mean the meaning of meanings. What is your meaning of the meaning of meaning? <clears throat> well, let me help you, Doctor. Have you ever read Carl Abel's monograph in which he points out that in the language of ancient Egypt, there were a number of words with double meaning, each the exact contrary and mate of the other? Thus, the word for light also meant dark. Old also meant young, near meant far, outside, inside, united, divided. These twins, though forming contrasts, gave rise to very clear concepts, and the Egyptians had no trouble understanding each other. Do you follow me? Uh, just a moment. I want to make a note of that. Carl Abel, you say? Uh, yes, but we don't have to go back to Egypt. All our concepts arise through contrast, too. If it were always light... We'd never distinguish between light and darkness. And accordingly, we'd have neither the concept of light nor the word that describes it. Everything, my dear Groskopf, is relative. Everything has independent existence only insofar as it stands in relation to and differs from other objects. Thus, every concept is the twin 
Off its opposite. So the Egyptians were really on the beam. Go on, go on, go on. All right, then follow me further. Negative and positive are contrasts, yet together, electrically, they turn motors and light cities. Male and female are contrasts. Together, they create new light. In the same way, reality and fantasy are contrasts, and when they keep house together, they create fairy number 589. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Now, about this fairy, Dr. Bigelow... Of course, you acknowledge that reality is not equally real to all persons. Well, that goes without saying. Now, in childhood, reality is fresh. It's invested with wonder and curiosity and delightful strangeness. Correct. To the extent that it's invested with wonder and curiosity and strangeness, it is fantasy. Later, as we grow older, the balance shifts. What we commonly accept as the dawning sense of reality is actually only our stopping at the standard focus of our society, a preset focus on the sequence of microscopic slides that we call our lives. Do you mind if I walk around? No, no, walk around, walk around. We are entranced and enslaved by details on the slides and we hardly ever look up from them. Perhaps now and then a moment of sublime music catches our ear and we lift our heads long enough to listen and have a limited seance with unreality. But as soon as the music ends, back we go to the slides. You take children. By degrees, they abandon because they're taught to, that superbly fantasized view of reality that can make their art sometimes equal to that of the masters. And the masters are masters, let me add, only because they fight their way back to the great staging ground, that marginal area between light and dark where events of cosmic bearing, such as new days or the victory of Samothrace are conceived. Love, too, has the genius to take us back to that Egyptian twin contrary of reality. Love, love. Or to that patch of magical friction between male and female whence springs such a mighty power of creation as to make every man and woman half God. And when that bright image fades, the honeymoon is over. God, Bigelow, I have de- damned this wife! You've never believed the kind of creeping ivy she is. Poison ivy. And my mother-in-law cut from the same rib. Uh, oh. <coughs> forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Go on. I, I, I'm all right now. Quite all right. Uh, you were talking about the suppression of fantasy. Well, it adds up to the existence of zones of occlusion between reality and its contrasting mate. Zones in which quasi-beings, like the fairy of my acquaintance, are yeah, hatched. Yeah, yes. Now, to get back to these fairies... Why do you insist on getting back to these fairies? Because I'm an investigator. I must find out about them. Not about them. Ab- about me. That's right. But that was a slip. Why do you think it was a slip? Because you acknowledge me as reality and dismiss them as fantasy. That's the whole point of our being here, isn't it? Uh, Well, it's a question of uh, uh, perception. Uh, My good heavens, it's later than I thought. I I, I have another appointment. Uh, Well, now, Dr. Bigelow, I'm afraid our time is up. Uh, That will be all for today. Yeah, General B.J. Duff is himself. Well, Ted, I'm not a mountain, and you're not Mohammed. But I've come to you because you're not answering your phone. In person comes the General, without even a bodyguard, to the home of psychotic Dr. Bigelow. 
after the doctor is released from an asylum for lunatic scientists, whither he has been sent by order of this same general. Sources close to both believe the general must either have mellowed or gone off his own rock. Oh, cut it out, Ted. I was just trying to protect Over you. Over my head and behind my back. That was before I read the transcript of your meetings with Groskopf. Fact is, I felt guilty even before then. Because as an old friend, I should have tried to know more about what looked to me like a breakdown. Will, will you accept this visit as an apology? Oh, you're a decent man, Ben. I guess if the tables were reversed and you told me you'd been zapped by a fairy, I'd have done as you did. I'm relieved to hear you say that. So what now? What about the, uh, your so-to-speak spook? See, from the beginning, I, 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 I took the wrong approach. I was more interested in knowing what made her wand tick than what made her tick. And I came to realize she's a poor, sassy wanderer, a bit of flotsam from the wreck of romanticism, a waif of the space age. Yeah, a waif, a cyber waif. So when I got back home, I set out to find out all there is to know about leprechaunology. I read McGonagall's great work on fairies, published in 1792. Have you heard of it? Can't say I have. And the Variorium, Fairiorium, famous compendium. Don't know that either. I ransacked bookstores and libraries trying to find clues that might lead to the whereabouts of Mab. And finally, I came across an old crumbling copy of a Finkelstein. What's a Finkelstein? Orlando Finkelstein, dean of leprechaunologists. He taught McGonagall. Well, I poured over this thing. Its pages could hardly be touched. They were so brittle. And I found something that electrified me. I copied it down. Here, read this. The worst crime of which a she-fairy can be accused is the falling in love with a mortal who is given to the mathematical arts. If found guilty of this offense, she is condensed. Condemned, condemned. I can't read your writing, yes. She is condemned, condemned to give up her existence, to expire in an act of purification in release of the mundane. It hath not been established whether she dieth outright or passeth into the body of a warm-blooded inferior animal. Further, it is posing strange... Passing, passing. Passing, passing strange that the guilty one must expire in a haunt where she hath imbibed the poisonous elixirs of her love. Well, Ted, I must say that... No, 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 to turn it over, there's more on the other side. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. In the process of transubstantation to an inferior warm-blooded creature, all dress of the expirer is discarded. (laughs) How about that? Uh, Thus, the offender, to survive, must keep on as much clothing as possible, alike to the keeping awake of one who hath swallowed a lethal poison. But whether this assureth survival, no one knoweth, all postulates thereunto being of rank suppository. Uh, rank supposition. Oh, uh, <laughs> supposition, supposition. Very complicated stuff. And vindictive, too. Chauvinist pig, leprechaun lawnmakers. What are you going to do? Find her. I've got to find her. If Finkelstein is right and she's condemned to expire in a place where she committed the crime of falling in love with a mortal, where could that be? Could be my kitchen or my bedroom. Or your lab at Pinecrest. Right! Right you are! And that's where I'm going as fast as I can get there!
could never find the light switch. Well, nobody home. If ever a place was cold and barren, it's this damn lab. And dusty, too. Gesundheit, for God's sake. Ma'am, is that you? What are you doing in the closet? I've been looking all over hell for you. Now, of all times, I ask you to guard your language. What are you doing hunched up like that? I'm meditating about what's befallen me. Come on, get up off the floor. Let me be. I've got plans for you. I'm going to teach you how to win at poker. I'm going to buy you filet mignon caviar for breakfast. I'm going to... I'll thank you not to rub salt in fatal wounds. Look at your clock. Ten minutes to twelve, what of it? At midnight I shall be no more. I've been sentenced to die in the unholiest place in all the earth, the laboratory. I won't even listen to such falderall. Good, then leave me alone to meditate in silence. Don't go back to that closet. Listen, we're going to do things together. You're going to help me. It was helping you that brought me to this pass. Oh, my dear sweet mab. Don't dear sweet mab me. I did what I did, knowing what would happen if I were caught. It wasn't your fault. But it was. I coaxed you into working with me against your will. I disbelieved you. I accused you. Oh, please, no confessions. It's hard enough to expire without having a scene made over it. Ma'am. I'm through. And obviously nothing can be done for somebody who's done for. Stop following me around. If you'll just give me a chance to get a word in, I'll convince you you're being very silly. You can't expire. Why did I do it? I was so happy. Happy? Always on the prowl for a free meal? Belonging to a powerless minority? Don't unbutton that blouse. I'll ask you to be more respectful of our powers. It's not our fault that magic got tangled up in your so-called progress. We had the most marvelously complex rituals. Sure, all technique and no heart. You don't know what to do with your own tricks. Is that so? Well, the same goes for your kind. So full of know-how, getting jobs done on time. Everything is rush, rush, rush. It's obscene. Instant coffee. Minute steaks. Imagine even a minute waltz. Tell me one good thing you do. We build engines to the stars. Engines? Big deal. A fish has better engines than those of the Queen Elizabeth. Don't you undress here. What's the matter? Afraid you'll see wings. I know why you're undressing. I've read Orlando Finkelstein. Keep your hands off me person, you fresh thing. Don't try to keep me dressed. Besides, I don't want you to catch cold. It's freezing in here. I haven't time to catch cold. And more than that, my kind never catches cold, even when there is time. That's one of the advantages of being a fairy. Another advantage, I suppose, is being so lonely. Who said I was lonely? Well, aren't you? Sure I am. All my life... I've been on the inside of a dream, looking out on a world full of facts. But 589, see how wrong you are? Here, let me button you up. No! Don't you know that dreams and facts are translatable into each other and chase each other in circles? Fact, the world is round. Dream, Columbus. Fact, reproduction. Dream, love. What do scientists know about love? Oh, stop harping on scientists. We've done a lot less harm in the world Less than... harm? You've cheapened mystery. Left nothing to guesswork. You make x-ray machines that look right inside people, so there's not even any privacy left. You have a horrid instrument that detects such lovely, soft, fluttering things as white lies. And all the time there seems to be more suffering, not less. Everybody's suffering from something. Well, don't you think scientists ever suffer? (laughs) They do. Yes, but you mustn't smile. 
There have been good ones, people you would have liked. Name two. Well, see that picture of Einstein on the wall? There's one of the greatest men who ever lived. Does he look like a scoundrel? No. He looks sweet. He looks a little like my great-grandfather, Mac Maru. Well, there you are. If you had known men like him, you'd have liked them. They advanced knowledge, even at the risk of persecution, at the risk of their own lives. Sometimes they helped us to understand all sorts of wonderful things, like how to conquer disease and pain, which I don't think even you approve of. No, I don't, and that's a so fact. So, you see, science can be useful, and it doesn't have the limitations of magic. Why, think of the ordinary telephone. It makes ventriloquists. Out of every one of us. We throw our voice, and it comes out anywhere we like, even half the world away. Why shouldn't it for the money it costs? 12,000 leprechaun pounds for the first three minutes to call Ireland. Think of the wonders we've come to understand. The mysteries of birth, the movement of stars. Which are made of gas. What knowledge to have, I tell you, your whole profession is destructive. It isn't we who are destructive, it's what is... I know what you're going to say. It's what is done with your gizmo that gets you into trouble. Would you stop putting words in my mouth and listen no. to me? No. When I first heard of science as a mere fairykin, I thought it was cute. I thought it was a kind of servant to your mortals, so you could have more time to play poker and write poems and figure out ways of staying out of trouble. But when I grew up, I saw that far from being your butler and handyman, it was your executioner. You invent the wheel? Crunch! People get run over. You discover electricity. The electric chair. You split atoms. Boom! Cities wiped out. You see what I mean? Well, yes, but the scientist has to mature like everyone else. He has to do more than create. He has to help bring up what he creates, rear it like a child and not, not, not run away from it. He has to see that it grows up to be a good citizen and not a criminal. That's his goal. That's the knowledge we're after in the end, to link what is with what should be. By the snakes, must you torture me in me last seconds with all this palaver about what should be? Listen, man, I'm going to finish my work. I'm going back to Duffus with a new bundle of dreams and facts, and by God, you're coming with me. Put those fluffies back on. I took them off for a reason. I happen to know the reason. Act of purification in release of the mundane, and I'm not going to let you do it. I kicked them off in order to dance before the hour strikes. You're not dancing on a cold floor. You're keeping those fluffies on, and... Shh! What is it? Don't you hear? Yes. What? Where's that coming from? What is it? My swan song. Look at the clock. I've got just a few seconds. And every expiring fairy is permitted one last request. I've always wanted to dance, because it's so dreamy and I've never had time to do it. I'm taking what time is left to me. Ma'am. But before I go, Dr. Bigelow, before I pass out of this sphere which contains me beloved Ireland, I must tell you that I... I... I'm as fond of you as a fairy may possibly become. Oh, my dear, wonderful, magical Mab. No, don't touch me. I begin to expire. Mab, Mab, listen to me. You can't do such a preposterous thing. I leave you sadly, Dr. Bigelow. So fare thee well. Fare thee well.
I'm going limp. I've lost my breath. Put your lips to mine. I'll breathe into you. Mouth to mouth resuscitation. I, I suddenly feel very warm-blooded. It's working. It's working. I do believe that Mary am I anymore a fairy. Welcome to my inferior species. I must say, in all candor, that I like having your arms around me. So do I. So do I. Listening to William Shatner, Carl Reiner, and Samantha Egar in The Curse of 589, written and directed by Norman Corwin. A cassette copy of this program is available at 1 800 411 MIND. That's 1 800 411 MIND. Or contact us at www.normancorwin.com. The Curse of 589 was produced by Mary Beth Kirshner with technical support by Martin Halperin and Warren Dewey, music by Ken Stange, and sound effects by David Krebs. This program was made possible by a major grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, with additional funding from the Interrep Radio Store, Selling Today, Innovating for Tomorrow, and Novato, California-based Sonic Solutions Digital Audio Workstations. It just sounds better at www.sonic.com. National distribution of this program comes from National Public Radio member stations, whose contributors include the National Endowment for the Arts and the Lila Wallace Reader's Digest Fund, helping people to make the arts part of their everyday lives. This is NPR, National Public Radio. And that was Norman Corbin's The Curse of 589, a taster of what some of uh, Corbin's later comedic work sounded like. Uh, there are more in that collection that are a bit hard to find now that Lodestone's not around, but uh, give me a shout, fred at radiodramaroyal.com. If you're truthfully interested, we can see what can be done. You can also always find Norman on his own website, normancorwin.com. Um, next week, we are actually going to be doing an interview, uh, not a new interview with Norman, as uh, blessed as that would be to do, uh, but we will be talking, um, featuring an NPR interview that was conducted a few years back, um, and maybe we'll get some more audio drama in as well, um, if we get time. It, uh, But we definitely want to hear from this guy who was so hugely influential on 
radio drama as art form, not to mention influential on America in general, um, having had the the grace and, and pleasure of being there when radio drama was popular, when it was heard, when it was influential. So uh, meantime, uh, do check out the blog and podcast, radiodramarevival.com. We've got news, reviews, and discussion up there. You can also always find us on iTunes, search for Radio Drama Revival. Now, that wraps it up for this week, however. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains to their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. <laughs>